that people think that before they they tried not to fly, they thought it would be a, a sacrifice. But once they tried it, like I've, I've spoken to people who have said that they've traveled so much after the decision and they realized that traveling now is much more fun. Like it's much more of an adventure. And they say that, oh, I wouldn't even go back to flying if I could, because now when I become used to like taking the train or go by other means, the journey itself is part of the adventure. I meet so many people. I see so much more of the country that I'm visiting. They just think it's great. It's quite few people who, after they make the decision, feel that it's it's a sacrifice. They, they think that they, they get so many benefits that they haven't thought of. They don't, you know, think it's a problem. Like several people have said, like, for example, they tried a flight for a year and then suddenly they've been flight free for five years or 10 years. Or when I look at the people who made the pledge for flight free 2019, out of the people that I know, everyone continued to go for a flight free 2020 as well, or like even decide to give up flying completely because they understand that, oh, it's possible. And it's not even that you know problematic. It's like you change perspective. Welcome to the award-winning Leadership in the Environment podcast. We guide you to living better by your values. We bring you relevant views on important topics without doom and gloom. We focus on awareness and action. It's about bringing fun, community, and connection to your everyday life. If you're new to the channel, please consider subscribing and turning on notifications. Let's do this. The not flying by choice community is fairly small. About 80% of humans can't fly. They just don't have access to it. They're not privileged enough to have a way of flying at all. But among people who can, who have access to it, but who choose not to, we're pretty limited in number. Still, I can't believe I only found out about Maya Rosen recently. I'm saying her name wrong. I apologize. A few minutes into her TEDx talk, I knew I had to bring her on. She has avoided flying about double how long I have. I could hear from every sentence that she said that she's had to face the, I don't know what else to call it, but the addiction speaking of people claiming what I did before I challenged myself to go that first year without flying, that I can't avoid it, the plane was going to fly anyway, all those excuses. You know the feeling of understanding and support you get when you talk with someone who has shared a rare experience, nearly universally misunderstood? That's what I got talking to her. More than personal understanding, she revealed a situation I dreamed of and intellectually knew would happen, but hadn't actually heard of yet. For 10 years, people in Sweden said what everyone here says about not flying. It's impossible, all that addiction speaking. Then in the past few years, it changed, she told me, as you'll hear in this conversation. The logic behind not flying didn't change. The pandemic hadn't hit. This was before that. Their values didn't change. People talk about, oh, Sweden's culture, it's different than here. But this change happened within Sweden, not between Sweden and some other place. She said that when people crossed a threshold of people who considered not flying, a threshold in, I guess, population density of people who figured maybe I should try not flying, people started changing. I believe because their neighbors did, not because the facts and figures changed, but because their neighbors changed. She described how a couple editorials written by Swedish celebrities choosing to avoid flying, that those editorials influenced a lot. It sounded like my strategy for this podcast. It parallels what worked there. I'm trying to reach a critical mass of people, focusing on influential people, to where more and more people know someone who has acted. I can't tell you how much our conversation warmed my heart for feeling understood on something I value and for which I felt vulnerable. And she made me feel enthusiastic for seeing the light at the end of a tunnel I've been in now for about five years. Here's Maya. Welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Joshua Spodek. I'm here with, I'll do my best here, Maya Rosean. Rosie. Yeah. Well, in English, she said it's Maja, Maha Rosen, but can you say it? Maya Rosean. That sounds great. Uh, I apologize for butchering it. And not long ago, I saw your TEDx talk 
in which you spoke about not, not just not flying, but you came at it in a very comprehensive approach. And I thought, this is not just someone who is trying it for a little bit or experimenting. She's really done this and she's really experienced this and has also not stopped there, but influencing others and has talked to a lot of people because a lot of the stuff that I say and do, you treated comprehensively. So I don't mind if people pause this conversation right now and go over and watch. I'll put a link to your TEDx talk. But can you share with me or us about how you decided to not fly? I'm sure you've said this many times. And how long it's been? I took my last flight. I think it was in either 2007 or 2008. Uh But I had been thinking about giving up flying for a couple of years before that. I think to me, I've been worried about the climate for many, many years. But it was not until when when Al Gore's movie, An Inconvenient Truth, came out. I think that was in 2006. Mm -hmm. That's when it really hit me just how severe the situation is and that it's so urgent. And I hadn't realized that before. And I just felt that, you know, I wanted to reduce all my emissions uh, as much as I could. But I Mm -hmm. thought flying, that's something that you don't do every day. You do it maybe like, or most people at least don't do it every day. So I think Uh I felt that if I do everything right in my everyday life, there is still room to take a flight maybe a couple of times a year. Mm -hmm. But when I finally made the decision not to fly again, I was actually visiting my sister who lived in the, the up north in Norway. And uh, we had been climbing this mountain and we were watching a beautiful view. And I just felt, it just felt really wrong to know that my trip there was actually going to contribute to destroy this place. And it just didn't make any sense. So I decided that, no, I don't want to keep flying. And um, I haven't since, but it it was not until after I made the decision that I actually found the information about just how much um, emissions there are from flying. So I didn't know that. And I know that most people aren't aware of that. Now, I want to get into that a little bit because that's where people always seem to want to go. But what we were talking about, so when we scheduled this call, I said, let's schedule a little bit extra time to meet a little bit at the beginning. But the conversation immediately got into, I wanted to share the behind the scenes talk. Because how did it start? You said probably it's easier for you there than in Sweden because things have changed there compared to here. Mm -hmm. And here, so how did people in Sweden view things like three years ago versus now? Well, when I first made the decision, I wanted all my friends to do the same. And people were like, uh-huh. no way we would do that. Like, it's just way too radical. And I'm not prepared to give up my flights. And also, they, they just felt that it, you won't make a difference. Like, it doesn't make sense for you to make that sacrifice. And so what did they think of you? I think they thought that I was a bit extreme, like a, a, an extreme uh-huh. environmentalist uh, or something like that. So at first I tried to convince other people around me to do the same, but I soon realized that they wouldn't. And instead we just, like, I wasn't good at talking about this because back then I was quite upset about the climate crisis and I was feeling really stressed about it, that other people didn't seem to understand what's going on at all. So for many years then I just, you know, I kept quiet when people were talking about their flights. I didn't talk so much about it. What I did to my closest people, but like not when I was meeting other who were telling me about their vacations, I thought, you know, I I won't question their flying. But then I think it was, I had my second child in 2017 and I was hanging out with other newly become parents 
and they were talking about their flights and I didn't say anything, but I felt quite awkward because we were sitting there with our newborn babies and at the same time talking about, you know, destroying their future. Well, to me, that's what they were talking about. I know that that's not what they were saying. They were just looking forward to their holidays. Oh, I'm sorry. So they were saying, let's plan our holidays to Thailand or whatever. Yeah. But you were also hearing them saying, we're also going to destroy the environment that we want to protect. Well, I guess, I mean, that's, that's, that's what I started thinking about when they were talking about it. But I, of course, they, they probably didn't think that way. Um, or I, okay, think, I just like, wanted to verify. To me, I was like, I, I wasn't sure. Actually, I, I couldn't really understand that they weren't concerned because to me, I thought that there was information about the climate crisis everywhere. And I think I thought that people probably had made a conscious decision thinking that, oh, I know how bad flying is, but I will fly anyway. But I wasn't sure. So I decided to give myself a, a New Year's resolution to start asking people questions uh, the next time when they were talking about their flights. Uh, so I did uh-huh. that, in, and that was then in January 2018. And the first times, it felt super awkward. Like, I, I felt that, oh, I don't want to do this. <laughs> I had um, one of the first discussions. To ask them these questions? Yeah, I, I, because it was quite soon after New Year's Eve that I was speaking to it was a parent of uh, my son, uh, my son's friend, and he was saying that they were going to travel to Bali. And I felt like, oh, really? And, and I started asking him questions like, aren't you worried about the climate crisis? And um, in the end, we had such a good conversation because and I realized that he hadn't even thought about this. And after a few more of these kind of conversations, I also spoke, for example, to one of my closest neighbors. He was traveling to Vietnam and he asked me to look after their cat. And um, I felt really awkward asking him because he's also um, my landlord and we're renting our house from him. So it's very important for me to have like a good uh, relation with him. But we also had such a good conversation. And I was surprised that he hadn't, the thought hadn't even crossed his mind about the climate and their they're flying there. So I really realized that. Sorry, I, sorry to interrupt again. When you said the thought hadn't crossed his mind, the thought of the climate had crossed his mind. Yeah, he had thought about the climate crisis, but he hadn't thought about that his flights would make a difference or, or like he didn't know. Uh, because I remember asking him, like, are you aware of how large the emissions from this flight would be? And he was like, no. And then he went home. And after he told me, I Googled it. And I realized that me flying there, it would be the same as if I had to jumped into my car and driven all around the globe. <laughs> and he was really shocked to understand this because he didn't know. Yeah, I wanted to clarify because in this country, there's a reasonable chance someone doesn't know about climate at all mm-hmm. and hasn't even thought about it. So I wanted to distinguish whether he had thought about it but not connected it to his behavior or he hadn't thought about it at all. But he had thought he about had it. He had thought about it. He just hadn't made the connection. Exactly, yeah. Huh? I think most people here in Sweden they are aware that there is a climate emergency, but I also think that most people aren't aware of how urgent the situation is and they haven't realized how they themselves can have an impact because, mm-hmm. yeah, I, well, now I'm talking about what's happened after, but anyway, at that same point in time, the flying debate here in Sweden suddenly started. Uh, you've probably heard about it over there. It's been called uh, about flight shame which is a word that I'm not a big fan of, but we can discuss that later maybe. But anyway, that I just felt that finally flying was discussed in the media. It just like, boom, happened. I think it was in the end of January. And I felt that 
oh, the time is now, I have to do something. Uh, so I decided to start a campaign together with my uh, one of my other neighbors. Uh, we decided to launch a campaign trying to encourage people to take a flight free year in 2019. So we started that and not much happened. And in the summer, I think it was only around 500 people who had pledged for a flight free year, but I still really believed in the idea. So I decided to do this full time um, because in the beginning we were just doing it in our spare time. And um, since then I've been working full time trying to convince people to take a, a flight for a year. And um, I think it's been the best two years of my life and it's been super interesting. And I've learned so much about how people think about this. And it's also made me more hopeful than before because I've realized that people are willing to change. Yeah, it's a psychological, I mean, it's much more about people's emotions and beliefs and feelings. And in my experience, people associate flying with two main things, making money and seeing family, and then adventure and, and culture also. And so when they hear not flying, they hear losing money, never seeing your mother again, and being no longer a citizen of the world, but being ignorant about the world. And that association. And so, well, that sounds terrible. Yeah. Actually described my view before I started not flying. And when I talk to people about not flying, yes, generally they generally tend to think I'm extreme. I think they also think I'm stupid and like a zealot, like so into something. Okay. I'm going to tell you about a conversation with my father. He says, Josh, you just care about this one thing. You, the environment is such a big thing for you. That's all you care about. And I say, well, how's it different for you? Like, what did, I asked him about him and he says, well, look, you know, I balance, of course, the environment means something to me, but also I love my grandchildren and I want to see them. Now his grandchildren, he's talking about my niece, my nephews who are right now in New Zealand with my sister. Well, his grandchildren are my nephews. So if I only care about one thing, are you saying dad, that I don't care about my nephews, that you love them, but I don't. And, you know, he backed off of that pretty quick when he realized that he was saying that I don't love my nephews, like, I mean, in my heart, I'm doing it for them. I mean, this is an act of love for them. I'm spending less time with them, but they're going to be living. I hope that they live longer than I do. They're younger than I am. But he just, if if he doesn't really, if I didn't force him to think about it, he would just think Josh is a zealot. He doesn't care about anything except one thing. And that one thing everyone cares about, but you know, we'll get there eventually. Mm -hmm. They all think. So I think they think that I'm, I'm like, not having empathy or compassion or intelligence, that I'm stupid, that I'm ignorant, and they know better, right? The best way to do this is we'll put a tax on it somewhere, somehow, and that'll change everything. It's, um, on the one hand, it's very frustrating. On the other hand, once you realize it's frustrating, like if you decide to play a sport, like if you become a great boxer, you're going to get punched a lot. If you get frustrated by getting punched, you, you don't understand boxing. I realized that the game of helping people leading people, helping people do what they want to do, but haven't figured out how is I'm going to face resistance. And then I realized that's my game. That's my, my playing field is, is people's values based in their beliefs and their emotions and their associations and things. Yeah. And I think it's so much about how people around you think about these issues. And that's what I really realized because like here in Sweden, I mean, it's less than two years ago when most people haven't thought about this at all. Or, well, actually, it's two and a half years ago now, because as I said, flying, there was a heavy flying debate starting here 
in in January 2018. So it's about it's been two, about two and a half years, and so much has changed. In the beginning, when I was running this campaign, even when I spoke to people who were actually really into the climate issue or working with the environmental issues in different ways, they still said that oh, I'm not prepared to make this sacrifice, and we should not put this on the individual. We have to. We need political decisions. Oh, and, that's so- and, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh-huh. That was such a common argument, but I have to say uh-huh. now I no longer meet anyone who who are really like involved in the climate issue who still defend their flying. Like now, most people have given up flying for the climate completely, or at least they avoid all like leisure flights, depending on what they work with. So I, I think within that group, the norm has changed completely, and. Um, of course, there are still many people here in Sweden who who are unaware, mm-hmm. but it's really changed. Like I've noticed, because we go out campaigning in the streets, what we haven't done now during the pandemic, but before we used to go out and like talk to people uh, on the streets, asking them if they um, would be willing to take a flight for a year, and then you know discussing the climate crisis and what they know about the climate impact from flying. And you can really tell that there's been a big change during the past couple of years. Oh, man. And we've seen like an actual decrease here in Sweden. I think in 2019, I mean, aviation has just kept increasing for many years now. And uh, in 2019, there was suddenly instead a decrease by 4% and um, among flying or flights from Sweden uh, decreased by 4% and domestic flights decreased, decreased by 9%. And um, I think... It would have kept decreasing, decreasing, but the problem is now due to the pandemic. Instead, the decrease was like ninety-eight percent instead. So it's a bit of a shame because we won't be able. Like, of course, in a way, it's good that people fly less. But I would have wanted to see if you know things would have kept going, or how, how large the decrease would have been without the pandemic. Because I still think that we're just in the beginning of of changing the norm here. You can't know how much, it's not heartwarming, it's encouraging for you to say that that change, for you to describe that change is something that I dream of happening here. And the pushback that I get is so insane. And you're, you're telling me about how the, the attitudes have changed and how the reception that you get is so different. And I'm like, it's possible. Mm-hmm. Like I knew it was possible, but I hadn't actually seen it. I mean, I don't think maybe one or two people I've spoken to, Americans, yeah. have considered you know, flying less. And even when they do, it's, like, it's still a sacrifice and it's a burden. And they're like, really, they want to, but they have to. And so they'll do it just because I'm as a, trying it out. And for you to describe what the effect that you described is, gives me great encouragement and hope. Now, what you just said, the stuff about the pandemic, oh yeah, so now a lot of people in my life have said to me, not talking about flying, they're at home and they're saying, Josh, it's amazing. I used to have all these meetings and now I'm just as productive as before, even more so because I'm, I'm interacting with people far away and, and I'm actually getting closer to a lot of people as a result of this. And I say, I told you that four years ago and you said it was impossible. And you didn't say it was hard. You didn't say you didn't want to do it. You said it was impossible. And they're like, oh yeah, uh, well, whatever. And so to me, the pandemic People are like, oh, you must be happy that now there's less pollution. But since I focus on leadership, I focus on people's goals and interests and, and their desires. And if they're not flying because of something imposed on them, 
but they really do want to fly, then they're just waiting for the chance. And they, they feel like they're going to have to make up for lost time. And you know, they think, oh, I can do so much with Zoom. But they're not thinking right now, they're also not seeing the pictures of the Great Wall of China from their, in their friends' feeds. And they're not seeing, and their, their competitors are also not flying. So they don't feel like they're losing market share. But once that kicks back in again, I think that if, if we don't lead them to where, or if they don't change their mindset, then their behavior will just go back to what it was before. But this is an example of how, this can be an example for them of how they can not do those things. Exactly. I mean, of course, I mean, people won't give up flying if they don't understand how important it is. And uh, I think there is so much confusion about the emissions from flying because many people have heard these figures that, you know, aviation only stands for about two or 3% of the total global emissions. And that doesn't sound like much. And then you think that, oh, that sort of counts for them as well, that flying is just like 2% of their own personal emissions. But the thing is, there's, I mean, most people in the world has never, ever been on a flight. I think it's been estimated that like 80 to 90% of the world population has never been flying. So if you look at the individual level on a person who actually is flying, I've seen many examples when people have told me that they realized that out of their own emissions, flying was like, 50 or even 70% of their personal emissions. So mm -hmm. that means it's such a, an easy way or easy depending on how you see it. But many flights, I mean, here in Sweden, at least 80% of flights are private. And out of them, most are just people going on holiday. And that's not something that you have to do. So you can just by not flying on holiday, very quickly reduce your emissions by so much. But I also must say that it's not... Like giving up flying or flying less or taking a flight for a year, it's not so much only about your reducing your own emissions. I would say that the biggest impact is on how this decision affects people around you. Because I think even if you say that people there, they maybe just know you who's done this made this decision and then they think it's a bit crazy. But if they were suddenly starting to see others like popping up people here and there, or maybe a colleague or a relative or a friend told them the same thing, like if we become more people who make this decision, then people start thinking. And I think that's what happened here in Sweden, that more and more people... Well, I think an important reason that we started discussing flying here in Sweden was actually, I mean, we've known this, like the researchers has known how big the emissions are for so many years, but it was actually some celebrities starting to write uh, columns in the papers about their decision to give up flying. And that's what really started the discussion. Like, because when people see that others think it's, it's, it's an important decision and that they are prepared to do it, it's the way of making people wake up and realize that, oh, we actually have to change our lives, that we can't keep doing, living the way we do. And I think if, if people understand, like I used to use the example, like what would you do if it was like a third world war? Would you still say that I have to fly on holiday, even if it was a huge, <laughs> that you're like, Yeah. children would get a bomb on them and they, people were like, of course not. And I think that's what we see with the pandemic. People feel that we can't fly. It's too, it's too big of a risk. Like we, we need to stay on the ground now. And then of course people are able to do it. We don't, they don't have to fly if they understand that it's so important not to do it. And it's the same for the climate though, because it, I mean, the climate crisis is even more, <laughs> or it's just as urgent as the Corona pandemic. We have to reduce all our emissions now. It's an emergency. So I, I try to encourage people to focus on that, like we have to do everything in our power right now. And then maybe if we get the climate 
under control, we can fly in the future. If we find a, a, a sustainable way of flying in the future, we can do it. I'm not against flying. I'm against the emissions. So, or like, I yeah. really, really want, or not even, I, I don't like saying that I'm against something. I'm like, I really just want my children to have a chance to survive <laughs> in the future or even myself and all the other people in the world. So to me, it's like, we need to understand what we're dealing with here. It's not about that it would be good if we reduced our emissions. We have to, we have no other choice. And I'm feeling really hopeful because so many more people around me here in Sweden has has started to realize that now. And it's the same people who 10 years ago said that, mm, you know, this doesn't make sense. I would never do this. And then now I it's have so gratifying to that hear. Who, who, who has changed. And so I, I still, I really, really strongly believe that we who have understood this, we can't just walk around thinking that, okay, I've made my decision. I'm going to let other people, you know, do what they want because it, it's not even fair to them. Like if you don't understand how important it is to, to save the climate, you won't do it. So, so to me, I think that one of the most important things we can do is, well, of course, change our own lifestyles, but also to talk about it and not in a bad, like we shouldn't, that's why I don't like flight shame. It's not about shaming people. <laughs> I don't want to walk around saying to people that you are not a nice person because you fly. I think it would, to me, I really think that most people would uh, do everything in their power to save the climate if they understood what's at stake. Yeah, I don't like the term flight shame either because for me, I don't feel shame. It's to me, personally, my personal experience is more like flight disgust. To me, flying is a lot like emotionally, it's like littering. When it feels like if someone's walking down the street and they eat something with a wrapper, it's much easier for them if they just think about themselves just to drop the wrapper on the ground. It improves their life and they don't have to deal with it. And flying, all that pollution feels like that to me. But yeah, flight shame doesn't seem like the right term either. It's. I guess that was when I gave up flying like over 10 years ago, then I was almost getting angry with my friends for not doing the same. And that didn't change their behavior. But I realized mm. that when I started asking questions in a nice way and discussing this with people and, and when you sort of, if you make them think for themselves <laughs> and, and show that a change is possible... I think it's been interesting to see that, you know, people are, for example, my, my closest neighbor, who I told you that well, he was one of the first people I, I asked questions when he was traveling to Vietnam with his wife. And um, they had been planning, they are, they have just retired and they had been planning to go to like Cuba the year after and, you know, travel and see the world. And uh, instead now they have uh, given up flying completely and they are trying to encourage others to give up flying as well. And they have started to invite um, other friends and neighbors to their house and ask me to come there to talk about this and, you know, encourage people to, to fly less. So it's really interesting to see. And, and they didn't want to give up flying at first because they were also thinking that, oh, you know, we, we shouldn't really put this on the individual. But then they thought about it some more and they, they made the decision to, to not fly. And now they also say that they see such a difference because now when, when they tell others about their decision, they say that they realize that it makes people think that, oh, so have they actually decided to give this up? Just yesterday, I was doing a podcast and it was with a, um, in the United States, we have like a, a liberal establishment. She cares very much about the environment. But when she heard me talking about my personal actions, she views that as counterproductive. She views that as like, we're trying to change, you know, get laws passed. We're trying to change 
the game and you're trying to focus on the individual and that's what they want you to do. That's what the oil companies want you to think it's you. And I'm looking at your facial expression. It's just like, almost like an eye roll of like, yeah, that one. But it's, I hit that one a lot. And to hear you describe how someone went from that to inviting you to talk to friends that they're putting together and they're taking an effort to get that message out there, the opposite of how they felt. And you said it came from them asking them questions and them, but also I think their experience of it personal. But can you tell me more about how, how you faced that objection or that challenge? I think it's, it, it used to be so common here as well. And I do understand because it makes sense in a way that, you know, of course we can't just, I mean, I, I don't think either that we as individuals can save the planet by like buying, uh, <laughs> like, you know, going, what's it called? Oh, I can't think of the word in English, but like it, we want Offsets? Just, uh, no, no, that, it doesn't matter. It was, it was like, we, we can't uh, save the world by, you know, just putting less garbage, like, or, or by recycling or something like that. That's what I was going to say. Like mm-hmm. some people, because some people think that, you know, oh, I do my recycling and, and then they think that's enough. And, you know, they feel like they are taking responsibility as individuals. And of course that's not enough. But if we start changing like the big things, like for example, giving up flying, it's such a, you know, it really makes a big difference. But as I said, I think, I mean, what's happened here in Sweden is really a clear evidence of that it makes a difference when we do it together. Because, I mean, now suddenly the it's more on the political agenda now, aviation, than it is Because, I mean, we are sort of setting the, or making the foundation for the political decisions needed. Because people, I think for people to understand what needs to be done, we have to show with our actions. Because Mm -hmm. they don't take in, if you just read facts of flying is bad, you don't understand it. But when you see the people around you stop flying, then you're more willing to take in the information that, oh, flying really is bad. And then you understand, oh, we actually need to change the system here. We need political decisions. So I think it's been so, I mean, before you, people used to say that, oh, we need to keep flying so that the air companies can develop technically greener solutions. But I mean, they've even admitted that now after the flight chain debate, they are working harder than ever to find the, the, you know, the technical solutions. So I really, yeah. really, I mean, to me, it's so obvious that and I think if you take Greta Thunberg as an example I mean she's made so many people all over the world aware of the climate crisis and I don't think people would have listened to her as much as they do if she hadn't also shown with her actions like for example she refuses to fly and I really think that people take in what she's saying in another way when she's also showing that she is willing to do this and I think that's the problem that many climate researchers they say, oh, we, we shouldn't fly. And then they fly all around the world, you know, doing their research. And even if it makes sense in a way, people don't, when they see that, they think, oh, if they think it's okay to fly, we can keep flying. Man, you're describing like, it's like a heaven to me that you keep describing how things used to be. And you're like describing my world right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, here, people view Greta as also like being manipulated and not and like, and it's so clear that if politicians see people saying one thing and doing another, they're generally going to follow what they do. And so if people say we should emit less, but we're flying all the time anyway, mm-hmm. politicians know where they're going to go with the behavior because that's what's going to get them the votes. And it's so obvious to me. It wouldn't have been obvious to me before I stopped flying. It is now so obvious to me that, yeah, go for the political stuff, sure, early, but also get the popular 
behavior, get the get the cultural shift. Yeah, I mean, we've been waiting for the political decisions for so long. I mean, like the knowledge about the climate crisis, it's not new. And, and that flying is bad for the climate. That information has been around for like decades. And there are no political <laughs> decisions, you know. So we can't just keep waiting because it's not going to happen in time. We really have to do everything. But of course, we shouldn't give up flying and then, you know, think that, oh, I've done my share. But from what I've seen, the people who, who change their lifestyle, they also start thinking more about, you know, becoming af- active and do other things. So it's not like you, you, you stop flying yourself and then you don't bother asking the politicians to, to change the system. I think it's the other way. Like if people decide to give up flying, they want others to change as well because they don't think it's fair if they are just doing it themselves. I think people say we have to do it this way, but really inside they want to keep flying and they realize that if they, they say that what they're doing is the most effective thing that they could do, but what they're really doing is defending somewhere inside, they want to fly. And they really, I think inside they're like, if that happened, like if there's a law that's passed that no one can, all right, fine. But really, they're trying to, they really want to go to Vietnam. They really want to see their mom far away. They, and by the way, here's one thing I say a lot. A flight will bring you to someone distant, but flying in general is what made them distant in the first place. I'd love to do a study. I suspect that the more people fly, the less time they spend with their family because they end up living far away. And then they think of the jolt of joy that they get when they see them, but then they discount that they are not spending time with them for most of their lives. Are not, I, I think of, I associate flying, people think of flying as making the world smaller because it makes, it makes them feel like distant places are closer. But I associate flying with ripping communities apart, spreading them so thin that people don't know their neighbors anymore and that their families are all over the place. And I think of it as, so sometimes people say, what if there were solar powered airplanes or, well, not solar, that would, well, I guess they asked me if they could be solar powered, but that's really pushing it. Would I fly? And Sometimes it's not such an easy thing because even if they weren't polluting, flying really spreads us thin. It's not so great for communities. I don't know. You, you're describing flying a lot as being something you give up. But my personal experience has been that my life has gotten better by nearly every value I have. Like, yes, I'm not seeing the Eiffel Tower as much, but I learned to sail. And sailing, I'm like barely in the water. I mean, I'm like a couple miles from home. I live on an island in Manhattan. So I go out in the Hudson and the Hudson River and it's like a whole world away. It's a completely other experience. And I've learned and I've grown and I've met all these sailors and I was supposed to have gone across the Atlantic. I was supposed to be in Sweden. I think I told you that except for the pandemic, I was going to sail there. And I'm probably going to ride my bike up to Vermont, which is, I don't know, a couple hundred miles away. And I don't feel like, I felt at the time that I was giving something up, I anticipated it was going to be the worst year of my life. Year one was a sacrifice. I, I thought it was going to be a sacrifice, but within a couple months, I realized that adventure, cuisine, spending time with family, control over my career, those are things that I create. I can pay someone to buy. I can say, here's money, take me to Thailand, and that, that will get me an adventure. But when I felt that I needed to go through someone else to get those things, it actually limited my experience of them because I could only get them sometimes. Whereas now I create them all the time. When I say that to someone here, they think, yeah, that's what you're saying. But really, we know you're lying. (laughs) I think it's so interesting what you're saying, because I've heard this from so many people. 
that people think that before they they tried not to you know not to fly they thought it would be a, a sacrifice but once they tried it like I've, I've spoken to people who has said that they've traveled so much after the decision and they realized that traveling now is much more fun like it's much more of an adventure and they say that oh I wouldn't even go back to flying if I could because now when I become used to like taking the train or go by other means like the journey itself is part of the adventure. I meet so many yeah. people. I see so much more of the country that I'm visiting and, and they just think it's great. So it's quite few people who, who after they make the decision feel that it's, it's a sacrifice. They, they think that they, they get so many like benefits that they haven't thought of. And also... So you, you just said after they make the decisions. Oh, after they make the decision, they feel it's a sacrifice, but then actually they act on it. Yeah, exactly. After they okay. act on it, they, they don't, you know, think it's a problem. Like, I, I think several people have said, like, for example, they tried a flight for a year and then suddenly, you know, it, it, <laughs> they've been flight free for five years or 10 years. Or like, when I look at the people who made the pledge for flight free 2019, out of the people that I know everyone continued to go for a flight tree 2020 as well, or like even decide to give up flying completely because they understand that, oh, it's possible. And it's not even that you know problematic. It's like you change perspective and, um, and you see it from another angle and you just feel, pr- I think people feel proud about it. It's not, that's why I don't like flight shame because, you know, not flying is something that most people feel quite uh, good about once they try it. Yeah, so, so you're not, I don't think you're lying. <laughs> I can tell. Something I noticed about minimalism, which is something different, but a lot of people will say, I don't like the term minimalism because it implies getting rid of stuff. That's what it looks like from the outside. But when you talk to minimalists, they always talk about relationships and their own passions and their own self-awareness. So minimalism, the term applies to stuff that they actually don't care about. The stuff that they really care about is, their, is the meaning and purpose in their lives and their relationships, which they're maximizing. So it's looking at what they don't care about and going in the opposite direction. When you look at what they do care about, it's going maximum. So flight, it's not that I'm not flying. It's that I am connecting with my communities. A crazy thing I get here is that people say, Josh, you're privileged. And so you cannot fly. And it's it's an act of privilege. But sadly, most people aren't so privileged as you. And so therefore, they can't give up flying. And when you think of like 80, 90% of the world can't afford to fly in the first place then to me, flying and the ignorance of often self-imposed of not caring what comes out the back of the jet and who gets affected by that is, to me, that sounds like privilege. And to not fly saves so much money. And people think that if I don't fly, then I'm going to get fired from my job. I can't, give them, I can't risk my job, so I better keep flying. But I think that you end up having more control over your career when without the flying. It feels like such a scarce, like it feels like a scarcity mindset. I don't know. Did did, did people ever call you privileged for not flying? Yeah, I think they do. I feel the same as you that of course we are, we are privileged who can fly, but I think as you say, most people can fly. I mean, I I can, if I want to, I mean, I have the privilege to have a, or or, yeah, I, I see what you mean that I'm privileged to be able to give up flying as well. I don't say that, but people say that yeah, to me. Yeah. I think it's the opposite. But I think, I mean, I think that's not really a good argument because if you if you look at the people who who fly the most or have the, I mean, that's the people who who could you know afford time wise and money wise to take the train instead or do something else or could get a job closer to the where they live. You know, here in Sweden, it's the rich people who who the more money you have, 
in general, the bigger your emissions are. Uh, so, I mean, people sometimes use that as an argument saying that, oh, some people can't afford to take the train to Europe. So that's why we should all keep flying so they so it doesn't become unfair to them, if you see what I mean. But it's really not the people with little money who maybe occasionally take one flight. Well, I think, I don't know, I keep reading, every now and then I'll read an article about how some Russian oligarch will fly a 747. One person mm. will fly their 747 to go to something across the Atlantic. Although I, I think that when people say that not flying is privileged, I think that they feel obliged to work, to fly for work. Mm. I think that they're not, that's this gut feeling that they're, or they first decided they have to fly and then they're justifying why. Mm. But it's not really reason. It's, it doesn't hold water. But you described earlier the strategy of this podcast. You were saying that when they, you, you talked about how celebrities write stuff about not flying. Mm. And then people say, oh, it's not just me. And the whole strategy of this podcast, the main strategy of this podcast is to work with well-known influential people and give, have them walk them through where they experience acting by their environmental values so that people listening can say, oh, it's not just me. Because I think, you know, the, st- the way I usually say this, people walk into Starbucks, everything's disposable, and they think, oh, I shouldn't get this single-use plastic. And then they think, well, everyone around here is... I guess it's okay. I mean, everyone's doing it. I guess I will too. And I'm trying to help them see that there are people, it's not just here in this country, people think it's zealots that are, you know, it's, they think that there's no other way of doing things. They've never seen an alternative. The only alternatives they see are people who are so different than them that they say that those people are too weird for me to consider being like them. And, and I guess you experience that, but now you experience something different that it's, it's becoming at least in, in a large part of your, of Sweden, a, a meaningful part of Sweden, if not the majority yet, it's normal. It is for them normal or even beyond normal, like ad- advantageous or, or desirable. Mm. And I knew it's possible. <laughs> I've seen it happen in other places. In smoking, when I came to Manhattan, was like normal. And to think a bar would not have smoke in it would be impossible. And I think people thought that's hugely giving stuff up. Mm. And now, for that matter, when I, was, when I was in high school, my principal smoked in the school. I think that person, even if that were legal, and I don't know if there's a law about smoking in schools, but even if it was legal, there's no way people would let that happen. And that happened in only a couple of years. Or same-sex marriage was like, people were like, unnatural. It's terrible. It's like, uh, what's, it's like degenerate. And now they're like, even people in communities that would say that's terrible years ago, now people in those communities are like, why would that be a problem? Why would anyone consider that to be a problem? And I just haven't seen it with flying. And I haven't seen it with a lot of... Actually, you've talked about climate, but I think of climate as one piece of it. And I think of there are many other environmental issues because there's a lot of pollution coming out that's not besides... Even if... Yeah, besides the effect on the climate, there's poisons and all these other things from flying. And, and there's, we have to, I have to pay for this military to maintain the supply lines that I have to pay for, even though I'm not flying. And so it's distorting the market in all kind of, kinds of weird ways. When you say climate, are you talking about climate plus all these other things? Our main focus has been the climate, but I totally agree with you that it's not, of course, the only problem connected to flying. I mean, there are so many other things. And for example, some people defend flying by saying, oh, we, we need to keep flying because some countries uh, are dependent that people on their tourism, that people go there. 
but then you don't think about, I mean, the effects of, of mass tourism. On, on, I mean, some countries oh, are completely yeah. destroyed by people traveling there. Yeah. And like, so there are so many problems related to this. And I think to me, flying is a really interesting question to work with because it kind of symbolizes <laughs> like the problems with our whole society that we just have this lifestyle that it just, it's not possible. It's not sustainable. We can't keep living the way we do. And I, I thought it was interesting what you said before that you're sort of now feeling more like connected to friends and family and meeting people like closer to you. And I really think that, I mean, what kind of society have we built when people feel that they just want to travel as far away as possible from their everyday life, <laughs> you know? Yes. And it, it's so sad because to me, it's like, I try to focus on instead of, instead of like, you know, flying on a, like one or two annual super exciting holidays, I try to create a life that's exciting or, or interesting and fun in my everyday life. You know, I don't, I want to create a life that I'm happy with and I don't have the need to like, just leave it, uh, you know, to be happy. So to me, it's a bit oh sad that people feel that they have to fly. And I think you must have such a boring uh, job or life if you feel that way, that you can't live without flying away from your life, if you see what I mean. I see exactly what you mean. Oh my God. I've never heard someone say, I mean, you, you just spoke what it feels like to have someone say what's in your heart is like such a great feeling. It's, I mean, the way I put it is, what does that say about your communities? If everyone you know feels compelled at least once a year, often more to get a thousand miles away, what problems don't get solved? What do you sweep under the rug? I mean, I I look at all the litter around and I think people just think, well, here's just dirty, but I'm going to get away. And people are more comfortable with their lives being crappy because they think they can escape all the time, but they allow it to get crappy. And in fact, they accelerate the crappiness. They work extra hours and they work harder and they spend all this time planning to get away. And, and it's all this escape. Like they think the local problems are leading to the flying, but I think the flying probably more causes the local problems because they figure, well, whatever, this isn't, this isn't the real me. The real me is lying on the beach in Bali. But then you look at the pollution in Bali. I mean, I'm sure you've seen the images of like someone surfing and they're just completely garbage all over the place. And that garbage is part of, it's part of the output of the same system, the same view of like, and then, I mean, when they're here at home, they think, well, I'll get away from this. So I don't mind having a mess. And then they go to this other place and they think, well, I'm indulging. And so they make a mess there too. And they figure, well, someone else will clean it. It's always someone else. It's always, it's always, well, what can I do? And then you do it. And it's, you're saying what I, your experience has been, it, it's so gratifying to hear. You do it and you realize, what was I doing? What was I thinking before? All those things didn't, it seemed to make sense at the time. And then you change and, they, and then it all ravels away. It unravels. I guess flying is kind of like the, the, you, you pull the, the thread on your sweater and then the whole sweater unravels. But then you realize that it's Marco Polo traveled. I mean, the average teenager probably has gone more distance than Marco Polo ever did. But Marco Polo traveled much more. People often say to me, Josh, oh, you don't travel anymore. I'm like, I don't not travel. I'm not flying. And it's really the emissions that are the issue. But I travel more. I just go fewer, less distance. And that people flying and travel has become one and the same in most people's minds. And they think if I'm not flying, there's no way that I can get any cultural difference in things. And some of them, they, they feel obliged to travel. It's an obligation. I feel liberated. Yeah, I totally see what you mean. And I think it's like, but, but it, it's, I think flying has been 
many people, even though people who, who do care about the environment has, has felt before that, you know, they want to travel because then they feel that they become, you know, they, they care about people in other places. They are interested in different cultures. It, it, they feel that it makes them more open to, you know, and, and if you see what I mean, that it's, it really is sort of, is, um, what's it called? Developing them as a person or, or, but I mean, if you look at what most people do, they just fly to a country to sort of go to the beach or meet other people from even their own country. Like you don't really get to explore the local culture from most, you know, for most people, I think when they go on vacation, they don't really, I mean, I think we need to, I think it's good to travel, but we need to rethink traveling. I mean, to me, I would much rather go on like one adventure where I go away for like, a long period of time and I travel by train and I meet people and I, I'm able to stay <laughs> in a place or like that kind of traveling, I think would be super exciting, but just to go on a plane and then you just like fly across the globe and wake up somewhere else in the world. And I haven't seen anything in between and stay there for a little while and like live in a hotel and, you know, not getting to know people. And I, I really don't think that that would be, make me such a much better person, you know? Yeah. Oh, you're on Facebook too. Great. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm just like, people talk about ecotourism and they're like, someone sent me this link about some company and it brings people up the Amazon. And I'm thinking, first of all, they're discounting the fly, the pollution on the flying and they'll offset it with carbon credits, which is, yeah. So the listeners don't get to see this, but she's just like, no. Yeah. And let's not go into carbon, uh, into, into credits because that's too Shall we both agree? Like it's probably leading to more flying. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it does make sense. We 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 have to do everything to cut our emissions now. So I think we should do off by offsets and not fly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we should do everything to. Yeah. Like, there's no way we can pay to keep having the emissions that we do. Yeah. So some listeners are like, no, but they really okay. But we're not getting into that because we both agree and we've looked into this and and but so this company brings people up the Amazon, and I'm thinking the effect on this is going to be that. You know, there'll just be this. Soon, there'll be a, this lovely cafe on the Amazon that these tourists will get to see, and then the and then people there who never dealt with people from all over the world are going to be like, "Oh, great! We get all this money coming in by having this little cafe. Let's put up another cafe." And the next thing you know, it's a tourist trap. And then I look at like Bangkok, and I'm thinking, Bangkok was once probably one of the most beautiful places around in the world, and now it's of course I expect to sail there at some point. I love the food in Thailand, but it's a very touristy place. And it is so similar to someone Venice. Apparently Venice is like, I didn't realize this, the population of Venice is like 50,000 people, but at any given time, there's normally about a million people there. So the ratio of tourists to non-tourists is like, I mean, it's hugely more. And that's not helping Venice at all. And people have this bucket list. And when I hear bucket list, I hear craving. I hear someone else got something. I, w- I need to get it before I die. and if flying, if travel has become about what you're missing more than what you're experiencing and when your actual experiencing of it is more to check it off a list, then, but meanwhile, you're not meeting your neighbors or seeing the cultural richness nearby you. I mean, I live in New York City, so I can just take the train to be in a place where there's, I can take a subway and be in a place where there's no English spoken or not even a sign in English. But even beyond that, I was talking to this one woman and she's from Louisiana and she said she needs to fly because she traveled the world and in her little corner of Louisiana, it was very, very uh, provincial. Like people didn't really know about the world. And so her learning about the world changed her 
And therefore, she felt like flying was essential. And I asked her, do people appreciate where you're from? It's like a lovely place. And she's like, oh my God, the food is amazing. And she's talking about the people. And it's amazing. And I say, should people know more about it? She goes, yeah. And I go, you know, people who live near there fly to China, but don't learn about your culture. And in fact, the differences between cultures is decreasing, not increasing as a result of flying. I think people feel like they want to get it while, it while it's still there to get, but they don't realize that they're contributing to the decline that they want to prevent. I've spoken to so many people now about flying, and I realize that most people, they, they just think of it as something that's completely normal, like that's just something that you do. I mean, most people haven't really put a lot of thought behind it. It's just something, I mean, in our generation, many people have grown up, like going on an annual <laughs> flight vacation mm-hmm. every year. It's just something that you do. I, I mean, I think that's one of the most important things I learned is that people don't really make conscious decisions about this. They just, they just live the way that they think is, is normal. And that's what many people feel that they have expectations from others as well, that they feel that, oh, I would probably be able to, to not fly, but I think that, you know, my family are expecting us to go flying or, or my friends wants us to do that and relatives and, or, or my, my boss, or as you said before. So we're just following the, the social norm without even considering the, the effects from it. So what's your social norm in your life of like, do you have adventure? Do you have culture, cultural exchange and things like that? I'm not sure if I understand your question correctly. Um, you grew up flying. It was once normal for you to fly. I, I haven't actually been, when I was a child, we didn't use to. So I, to me, it's been quite an easy decision to make. Like I haven't had, I mean, of course I have been flying, but not something that I've been doing. I think I was probably 15 the first time I was flying or something like that. So it's not something that was a big part of my childhood. We used to go on holiday in Sweden. And I actually, I grew up in the forest um, in the countryside and we had uh, horses and things like that. So we we had to be like quite at home quite a, a lot. So I didn't fly when I was a child, but then I, I was flying quite a lot when I was young. I I moved to England when I was 19 and I used to fly back and forth a lot between Sweden and England. And I thought it was so great, you know, that I could buy like really cheap tickets from Ryanair so I could go home and visit my family all the time. And I asked all my friends in Sweden to fly there to come visit me. (laughs) And, you know, so to me, it was just normal. And it's not that far in between, but still like it's a lot of emissions if you, if you take a couple of flights like that a year. And, And I think that's what people don't know that, I mean, we need to come down to like one ton of or of emissions per person a year or preferably nothing. And I mean, mm-hmm. just taking for us in Sweden, if we just take one annual flight to Spain, we have used up our entire carbon budget that there's nothing left for the things that we have to do, like eat and live somewhere. And, and people don't realize that it's that because our emissions are so much higher than they should be. So that's mm-hmm. why... You know, flying here in Sweden, for most, for the average Swedish person, flying stands for 10% of our individual emissions. But those 10% should be our 100%, if you see what I mean. I mm-hmm. mean, that's where we need to yeah. go to. So there really is no room for that at all. But no, I, I would say that, I mean, I've been flying, but it's not, to me, it was not something that changed my life completely. Uh, I felt a bit limited. And I, I, of course, there were places that I would have loved to go to. And I know, I mean, there are so many beautiful places in the world, but to me, like I'd rather see them 
continue to exist and be beautiful than that I necessarily have to go and see them in person. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, I mean, you can't, whatever we do, like we can't see the entire world. Nobody can explore everything. (laughs) It's not possible. So you will lose out on something anyway. And I think, I mean, I haven't even explored my own country. There are so many places in Sweden that I've never been to. uh, Mm -hmm. And there are so many places to go and, you know, I have a son who's he's never been outside of Sweden and he would love to go to either Japan or Italy. <laughs> and I think Italy would probably be an easier option, but it would have been really interesting to go to Japan in the future, not flying. I don't know if we would be able to do that, but to me, I think it would be more of like traveling would be like a once in a lifetime adventure if I would go to Japan rather than something that, you know, you can just, but I think I would probably have a much more exciting time than if I, if I took the plane there. If you like the show, I recommend acting as my guests do. It works best with someone supportive, your spouse, parents, kids, neighbors, or friends. Learn the four-step process I do with my guests and describe in my TEDx talks and do it together. You'll find yourself acting on something you care about, something meaningful. Whether you start big or small, doesn't matter. If you care, if it's meaningful, you'll keep doing it. You'll reach big. Eventually, stewardship will feel normal. You'll wish you had started earlier. Second, I recommend donating to help this podcast at joshuaspodek.com slash donate. I promote degrowth and stewardship, which no advertiser will touch, but brings joy, community, connection, and abundance to you when you act and global change in the long run. Help us keep going. That's joshuaspodek.com slash donate. When I was a kid in college, I would drink to get drunk and I would drink a lot of alcohol. Now I occasionally have a sip of whiskey the amount of alcohol I have is much less, but the total appreciation and what I, the joy of my life value is greater now, despite the amount of alcohol is way lower. Mm. And the same with the travel is that I'm going far less distance, but what I get out of it is so much greater. And one of the ways I think about it is when you look at digital maps on the computer, it, there's a certain level of detail. Say I look at a map of, of um, the East Coast of the United States. There's a certain level of detail. I can see cities. And then I hit the little plus thing that zooms in. And now we all know what happens, but naively you might think, well, there's going to be less detail because if I zoom in on just New York State, I can't see Boston. I can't see Washington, D.C. I can't see Florida. But it fills in the detail. So now I can see all the, all the cities in New York that not all of them were showing before. And if I hit plus again, it zooms in and I see more detail. The detail doesn't go away, it just changes. So if I think the only way to, if I think I have to go at least 10,000 miles away, then I don't see any detail in between. But if I switch to, if my way of traveling is by train, then a a far distance is like a couple hundred miles away. But I don't have less detail. I don't have less to see. And if I switch to biking, then it's it's still not less detail. I mean, people keep telling me about, like they'll start biking more instead of, um, taking taxis. And just that change, they start to notice things they never saw before in their neighborhood. And there's so much to discover in the world. And thinking on a, on a 10,000 miles, sorry, I'm using miles, I'm just used to 10,000 kilometer distance. If, when you think on that scale, what you're missing is no matter what scale you think of, you're missing. If instead you say, no matter what I do, I'm always getting something, which you know, if you think of an abundant mindset instead of a scarce mindset, then there's always more to discover and you, you can't stop discovering it. It's always there. Or I think of like, we have, there's certain joys that we get from flying. Well, 
those joys, all the positive, all the things that we get out of it, the feelings, ultimately it's something internal to us that we get out of it. Well, we have the same emotional systems that our ancestors did who evolved without flying. So they could also feel whatever we feel about joy, discovery, uh, adventure, cuisine, all those things, whatever joys we're getting today, that's not new emotion that didn't exist before. We don't have a new personal experience that people before couldn't have had. On the contrary, the only way you could have it is that they had it before. If they had it before without flying, and we think we need flying to get it, we're probably going to get less of it than they had. Not more of it, but less of it, because we're dependent on others. And for that matter, if we like it and we depend on others for it, the others can now charge us for it, and they can take stuff away from us and hold it for ransom, which is why I feel it's so liberating not to fly, because I realize that I can get what is a human thing, not a flying thing, without having to wait for it, without having to save up money so I can pay people. And most of that money is probably going, I mean, if I really trace where all all that money goes to, ultimately, it's either going to extracting fossil fuels or burning fossil fuels, or you know, it's building the airplane. And I, if I can get the joy without the pollution, get the joy without the pollution. And if it, if, as it turns out, once I can get it without the pollution, I can get it without anything. I can get it from at will. It's, it's like my choice as opposed to something that someone holds back from me and that they promote my craving it, which only makes me, that makes my life worse. Sorry to ramble. No, I think it's really, I think it's really interesting to hear what you're saying. And I think, yeah, probably most people haven't thought about it this way at all. So I think it's really important to, to share those kind of thoughts that it's not something that you lose out from it. It's just different. But I, I have to ask you, like, what, what made you make the decision to not to fly in the first place? Because you say you don't really know anyone around you who are doing this. And, you know, what, what made you make this decision? Well, there's a series of decisions that were, that un- looking back now, it looks like there's a steady path, but there's a video I did of this. It, it, I'll give a very short version, but in, in the beginning, I've tried to trace it back. Where did it start? Because it wasn't just like an aha moment. Everyone asks that, but it wasn't that. So if I really trace it back, when I was a kid growing up, I liked some meat, but not all meat. And I read a book, my first book that talks about being vegetarian. And I'd never heard of vegetarian before. I, I don't remember. This is like, in the 70s, maybe 80s. And I thought, before that, I thought eating meat was necessary to live. If you didn't eat meat, you would die. And then I read this book, Diet for a Small Planet by Francis Moore LePay. And I thought, oh, it's possible. But then it was really hard. But I cut back on my meat, not intentionally, just I, I cut back on it. And then I started cooking for myself and I realized that the meat that I ate was like hot dogs and hamburgers and chicken nuggets. And they're very processed. I couldn't tell where it came from. I didn't like the idea of eating animals. But then when I started cooking for myself, when I went off to live in my own college, it was really the first time that I bought a chicken breast, chopped it up, breaded it, and fried it up and made my own chicken nuggets. It connected chicken nuggets to chickens. Before that, they're so, so processed. In fact, you can make chicken nuggets without chicken now. But that, once I did it myself, I was like, oh, that meant in my head, all meat, even the very processed stuff became, I couldn't eat it. So I think I had meat once after that and then never ate it again. That wasn't really a choice. I mean, I didn't say I'm never going to eat meat. It's just, I couldn't do it anymore. And then the same, something very similar happened with hydrogenated oil, maybe a few years later. And then something similar happened again with corn syrup. We're talking like five, 10 years in between these things. And then at one point, I I challenged myself to avoid processed food. And that was a bit harder. 
And then I gave myself a challenge to avoid packaged food. And packaged food was a, that was because of garbage. That was because I looked at my garbage and I saw most of it came from food. And so I said, could I go for one week without buying any packaged food? I just stayed at my sister's for a little while and she cooks from scratch because she works at the farmer's markets. And, and so I saw cooking from scratch more than I was used to. Actually, all these changes I thought before I did them, it would make my life worse. I thought it would be possible. I thought it would separate me from society. And each of the changes was, it was the opposite of what I expected happened. It was, I love food. I mean, people who listen to this podcast, they're like, oh, Josh talking about the famous no packaging vegetable stews again. But the joy that actually I, I'm halfway finished one. I was like trying to eat one just before we started. <laughs> and then I was on a flight and I was watching a video of David McKay, I think is his name. And he wrote this book about, what's it called? Sustainability without the hot air. And he was a professor trained at Cambridge. I'm sorry, taught at either Oxford or Cambridge. And he was trained at Caltech. And he written this book about, well, he wrote a book about sustainability. And I saw him giving a talk and he said, flying New York, LA round trip warmed the globe about a year's worth of driving. And that hit me because I live in Manhattan. I don't have a car. And I thought compared to Americans, I must have very low emissions. And then, but no, not only was it higher than I expected, but it was significantly higher than the Paris Agreement recommendations per capita. And I got very uncomfortable. And I thought, well, you know, I had that, that uh, challenge with the no food, no, no packaging. And I thought that was going to be terrible, but it became awesome. And I thought, well, going for a week without flying, that's trivial. Going for months without flying, that's still pretty easy. Could I go for a year without flying? And immediately I was like, ah, ah do not want to do that. Stop thinking about that. So I did go on another flight after that. The next flight I took was to England to go visit a friend. And I gave a talk and it was a great time. My friend's a real party animal. So we were like partying like crazy. It was great. And then I took the train to Paris. So then I was in Paris staying in a, on my own in a share, someone's rooftop apartment. And then I was by myself and I was thinking about it. And I, I was having trouble sleeping. And it wasn't from jet lag. I was having trouble sleeping because of the flight back. And I was like, this flying is serious. This is, am I trying to live by my values or not? Am I just going to look the other way when I know what's going on? And so I said, all right, I'm going to fly back and that's it. When I get back, it begins one year. And I, I knew that day 366, I would be on a flight. No question. Because I was going to have to make up for all this giving up because I'm, I'm taking one for the team. I'm sacrificing myself. And then it was only a couple months that I went from feeling like, and by the way, I had to cancel a bunch of work projects. I was going to go give talks in Europe and two of them just disappeared. I, like I couldn't do them. But then I started finding I could do more things here. And suddenly I started saying, all right, I don't want to miss family. I don't want to miss cuisine. I don't want to miss culture. How can I get them? And I found that I could create them more effectively without the flying. So it was meeting people from other cultures without flying. It was getting adventure without flying. And suddenly I saw flying as limiting those things, not creating those things for what I was talking about before, because people could hold them from me. And it was, I was associating, I thought flying was giving me things, but it wasn't. I got those things. Flying made it easier when I didn't know how to do it otherwise, when the, my ability to do it otherwise was atrophied from lack of experience and practice. And so I, it was maybe two or three months in that I said, all right, let's go for a second year. It's possible I'll fly again, but I don't see the point. To me, flying is like littering yeah, it's easier to drop my litter on the ground. The places I have to go in my mind to ignore the effects of what I'm doing on others 
I mean, maybe if I lived in a world with, a, with like 1 billion people and there was so much more earth to regenerate the pollution. So population is a whole other issue, which has also become very important to me. And I have big mind-changing views on that when I learned about going back to Thailand and Machai Viravadia and how he, well, we'll leave population for another, unless you want to talk about it. But it's the places where I have to go in my mind to lower my self-awareness, to lower my awareness of, of nature, to think of, to ignore what I'm doing as opposed to my personal, to, to elevate my limited, my so short-term experience of something, to put that above what thousands of years from now people will still be dealing with what I've done. I can't do that. It's, I mean, I can, I mean, I could choose to do that. I could say, you know, screw it. I'm going to, I want to see the Grand Canyon tomorrow. I could do that. What that would mean is just like, and it would just take me to such an awful place of lack of compassion, empathy, lack of humanity, lack of exactly what people think that they're getting when they say, I want to go to Cambodia so I can see what it's like there. So you can change what it's like there into what it never was into, I mean, I've seen pictures of humans settled in the most beautiful places and the most fertile, lush places when they, you know, moved out from Africa. That means that all the places where the biggest cities are, the places that are most paved over were once the most beautiful places. And do I want to accelerate that process or do I want to reverse that process? I want to reverse that process. I want to make, I want to restore that beauty. I want to honor that beauty. One of the things I love doing around here, this is not a big effect on my diet, but I found that there's berry trees in Manhattan. And when they're in season, I love and I, I go pick the berries and I feel like a king because they taste best when they're right off the tree. If you get them in the store, they're the ones that are shipped to from around the country and they're in a plastic, you know, plastic container. A king can't get them any more fresh than by going to the tree himself. And since no one knows about these berries, they're falling to the ground in numbers that like, I can't possibly keep up with the tree. And so I'm just eating, I'm shoveling them into my face. And I, as far as I can tell, they're like the healthiest things around. And people are like, oh, but the, what about the pollution? I'm like, it's, I'm breathing the air. Like, it's not any more or less polluted than the air that I'm breathing. And I'm eating these things. And I know about them because I'm not going to some other place, because I'm not paying for stuff to be flown in from some other place either. I'm trying to avoid that to the extent that I can. And it, it's been here all along. It was always there. And I go down to the river, there's um, these herbs that grow around here and they're delicious. And when I go walking along and no one has any idea that they're there, I sit down and I'm picking this lavender and eating it, just nibbling it. And it's, it has more flavor than anything I can get at a restaurant because the restaurants have learned, put a bunch of salt, sugar, and fat on stuff and make it very convenient and people will keep coming back. But the, it, it doesn't have flavor. It has, it satisfies a craving, but it then makes you crave it more. And I can't get any better flavor than when I just walk down to the river and pick a little bit of lavender. Now, if everyone started doing it, we, it would be a problem. But as far as I can tell, I've never seen a single person pick up a leaf of lavender and, and eat it. So the richness of my world has not decreased. On the contrary, it's become significantly more convenient. I found a mulberry tree in Central Park that I'm picking the, the mulberries off and my feet are slipping on the ground as if I'm on snow because there's so many mulberries on the ground. And I'm in a city of 8 million people and people pay $10 for a little container of mulberries from some other place. And I'm talking about food, uh, this tiny experience of like eating berries, but I'm spending more time with people near me. It's really the relationships with people near me that the experience of food is small compared to the experience of 
it's wonderful. It's one of the best things in my life. My experience of nature through ingesting it is, and berries, the, the, the tree wants me to eat it or it evolved for me to eat it. That is huge. And I go to the farm and I meet the farmers that grow my food. Like this tomato right here, I go to the farm and I walk the fields. And that is a more, I've had a greater experience than if I went all the way up the Amazon. But I can do it every year, all the time. In fact, I expect to ride my bike there this year, assuming they have it, they have a once a year event, but they might not because of the virus. But even that pales in comparison to the people that I spend more time with. Because the richness of a person, it, well, I don't know. Nature is pretty cool. So I'm not going to try to compare which I find more value from connecting more with people or connecting more with nature because I get both. So I don't have to choose between them. Exactly. But I think the way you're, I, I think uh, as me as well, I feel that when you start thinking about the world in this way, like you, you appreciate all the little things much more than before. Like to me, yeah. I don't feel that I lose out on anything at all. Like, and I think I agree with what you said before that it's a, it's a bit of a shame that you talk about giving something up because it's not about, I mean, I feel that I have, a, I mean, I'm the kind of person I hate being bored. Like I, I really, I want things to happen. Like I really, you know, I don't like, I like when things are happening, but, but you don't have to fly to do that. And like, you don't have to fly to meet people. For example, I feel that since I started this campaign, I've met so many interesting people. I had so many interesting conversations and it's, it's interesting. I, I like, I mean, I have a, like, I mean, you're not really allowed to walk up to strangers talking about, you know, <laughs> like these deep issues of life or death. People would think you were crazy. But if you're out campaigning for something, <laughs> uh, then yeah. you actually can do that without people thinking you're crazy. And it's been so interesting to talk and, you know, to talk to people about like, as you say, what, what's important in life and things like that. And, you know, to me, it's, it's much more fun trying to convince people not to fly than it is to fly. So I would rather keep doing what I'm doing now anyway. Like it's not boring. And I think it's a shame that we talk about saving climate as something negative, like all the things we have to give up. I mean, most things that are bad for the climate are bad. It's bad for us as well. Mm -hmm. Plastic and dumping mercury out in the river. Yeah. And I mean, all the, like, like for example, eating, eating healthy food it's the best for the climate and it's the best for us as well. Uh, and it's also, as you said, the, the tastiest food <laughs> as well. Like it's, it's much nicer to eat that kind of food uh, anyway. And I mean, as you say, going cycling and travel that way instead of just jumping into a car. To me, I, I, I mean, I don't have a car. I don't eat meat and those things. And I, don't re I really don't feel that I'm losing out on something. It's just a shame that it sometimes sounds like that saying that, oh, I've given up this and this and this and this and that. <laughs> but yeah, I, I agree with you. We should talk more about the, um, the advantages that you get from changing your, your lifestyle. Yeah, it's, it's a funny thing that talking about it often, in my experience with people here, just raising the topic triggers in their minds the defense mm -hmm. and it often reinforces it. That's why I envy your experience of having... Of, yeah your current experience that you live in a community where it's spreading by community and people can see that they're not alone and that there's other people that they can copy and they can learn from. Because right now, that is not the case here. And if I say to someone, I'm not flying, they, I think in their heads, they think it suddenly builds up all the reasons why they have to fly. Mm. And in their minds, they're completely right. End of story. And so if I keep talking about it, it makes them, there's a name for this, some psychological effect that it like reinforces the beliefs more strongly. 
than had I not brought it up at all. Like I'm sure that my father, despite the conversation I said, he probably thinks more that he has to see his grandchildren, that he has to fly. But actually, yeah, (laughs) when I first stopped eating meat, he would make fun of me and he would tease me about it. And then later he married, his second wife was vegetarian. Then he stopped. I mean, he didn't stop eating meat, but he stopped making fun of me. Mm. That's why this podcast is, you've used the word convince a few times, but I, I try to avoid trying to convince. I think convincing is, uh, actually I looked it up. The Vince is the same as in um, Vanquish. It, it means to de- defeat. Mm. And I'm not trying to defeat other people. I'm not trying to show that they're wrong. I'm not trying to argue with them. No, I, I totally agree. I guess um, it's probably not the best word to use in English. I will actually look that up for, for the future, what I, what I try to, because that's not when we talk about it, what I try to do. Like I, I more believe in like asking people questions to make them kind of realize things, things themselves, if you see what I mean. Like it's difficult to explain, but I, I, don't, I don't think it's about walking up to people saying, this is the fact, this is what you should do, and we have to do it right now. From my experience, it's like what works the most is talking about that others have made this change and how it's, and like the positive things about doing this. Like if you do this, you're part of like a big change and you can really make a difference. And also show people that I don't think that the reason they keep flying is because they are selfish or that they don't care. Like, I, I think it's completely normal that people keep living the way we do because we just act like those around us. And I really don't think that people who don't do, you know, everything in their power to solve the climate crisis are bad people who don't care. I definitely think people care. And I think it's more about realizing that we can all make a difference because I think so many people have this view that, you know, it really doesn't matter what I do because like that won't change anything and because they're underestimating the impact of what they are doing on those around them. So, yeah, I've, I've written a guide about how I usually talk about aviation with people. It, it's, it's, you can find it on we need to talk about aviation.org. It's like, it's a guide in like how I think has been the, the most effective ways to have conversations about this. And it also gives responses to like the 26 most common <laughs> counter arguments that mm-hmm. I face. Uh, but it's not about like coming with the arguments, but it's good to be able to answer when people start saying, oh, but shouldn't we deal with like something that's worse instead? Then it's good to be able to answer that. But it's not really those things that makes people change. And I think why we encourage in our campaign people to take a flight for a year, it's not about like stopping flying completely. It's like we encourage them to try because what's interesting is that once you try, often you you keep, or at least people who's tried, I think, end up probably flying uh, much less than they used to before. And I think it keeps happening. It Like once you have that shift in one area, it'll go into other areas and other areas. Mm. Like gardening is like that. If you plant something, then I think people really enjoy it. I certainly am composting. Like, I didn't think I would enjoy it. And yet there's something oddly fun about composting. And it keeps, like now I pick up litter every day. And then you start seeing all these other places where you can change and, and like pollute less. And I don't know if you've noticed, I keep muting because I keep having these trucks going by outside. And sound pollution, I keep, I, I'm now viewing sound pollution as pollution. And... I used to take for granted that it's just living in the city is noisy, but it doesn't have to be. And a lot of it, a lot of the trucks, for example, are garbage trucks. They're the loudest, among the loudest trucks 
they often cause congestion because they stop all the time and all the cars behind honk and they're noisy and dirty. And then I see how much of what they're hauling away is from food packaging and from restaurants. Right now, all the restaurants are using, a lot of the restaurants are using disposable stuff because it's all outdoors right now because we're, the, the rules about lockdown. So the amount of garbage right now is higher than ever. The, the budget for the New York City Sanitation Department is $1.6 billion a year. Most of that is hauling out garbage. I mean, packaging. Like we're, we're paying more for stuff to be packaged than we pay for it to be hauled out. If people shopped at farmer's markets, they would get fresher food, more delicious. It would save them money, even though they all think it's more expensive, but when you buy in season, it's cheaper. The money would stay within the community and we could probably save a billion dollars on the hauling out and probably a lot of money on the hauling in as well. And it would be less, it would be less noisy. It would be more quiet. There's garbage all over. There'd be less garbage in the streets. And I don't just mean litter. I mean, right now it's, there's litter all over the place, but also the amount of garbage piled up every day, every single day in front of buildings, especially restaurants, it's more than ever. And so we have less sidewalk space, more rats, more roaches. And so I look at avoiding packaged food like I look at flying, which is to say, it's not avoiding. I'm thinking of the vegetables. I'm thinking of the fruit. I'm thinking of cooking myself. I'm thinking of knowing my farmers. And I think we would save billions of dollars a year, just the city, and we'd have a cleaner city. We would have healthier people flying very similar. We would save a lot of money on extracting the oil and to say nothing of future generations, what they're going to have to do to get the carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere, if, assuming some technology is possible, which that's, there's no guarantee that it could happen at scale. And each area leads to the next area, leads to the next area. And I guess it's once you make that switch from one system and a certain set of values in that system into a different system with a different set of values, then that, the old system doesn't make sense anymore. And the new system, there's no shortage of discovery in this one either. It's just that this one also doesn't pollute. It doesn't hurt people so much. Yeah, I definitely agree with you that it's, it's not about just giving up flying. But I also really think that once you, once you make one change, you, you, it's much easier to make the other changes as well. Um, yeah, I heard what you said about sound pollution now. <laughs> yeah. All right, we've been on for a while. And I, I want to make sure not too many listeners drop off. If I, do, if I record for too long, sometimes listeners don't start listening in the first place. So I want to leave you, if it's okay with you, an open invitation. Anytime you want to be back on this podcast, please let me know because I'd love to have you back. And on a personal note, you have given me so much to look forward to of how a community can change because I, know, I knew it was possible, but I didn't know it. And you've lived it. And thank you for sharing that. And is there anything I didn't think to ask or anything you want to share? directly with listeners before we wrap up? What I would like to say, well, thank you so much for, for having me on your podcast. It was really great talking to you. And I would also like to say that I'm sure that there are a lot of people listening uh, in the US who already think this way and maybe have made the choice for themselves to, to fly less or, or give up flying completely. And I would like to encourage you to, to spread the word. And I think that's a difficult thing. For me, when I, when I made this decision, I, I felt like I didn't want to destroy the mood. I didn't want to make people feel uncomfortable. So I didn't talk about it. But after doing so, I realized that it's actually possible to talk about this in a way and, and still keep your friends, if you see what I mean. And uh, we are now planning to launch a new uh, campaign. And this time it's going to be a global campaign for a flight free 2021. 
And if anyone in the US, there is already, um, we already have a branch in the US called Flight Free US. And if anyone is interested in, in like helping us to spread the campaign or working with us somehow, please get in touch because we, I think we need all the help that we can for this. And I will get from you all the URLs so that the links will be available on my site. Oh, actually, can you share, can you just say them anyway? Well, actually, we are we are building a new international website. So I I think it will be um, flightfree.world, but... Um, okay, so we'll I'll, I'll try to get that if it's new by that time, by the time yeah, it goes or, up. Yeah, for now, you can find you can find information on westayontheground.org. So that's probably better to say. Okay, and that's where I found you. Yeah, uh, okay. We stay on the ground. And yeah. can I ask a clarification question? When you said the people, if they're thinking about it, should they talk about it even if they're just thinking about it but haven't done it yet? I think we should talk about this as much as we can. I think it's it's just like even having the thought that maybe we should fly less, I think it's really important to share it with others because from what I learned, I think many people are concerned about the climate. But when I ask them, so do you talk about your concerns with your friends or, or like, but many people say no. For example, I was talking to these young students and I asked them, are you worried about the climate crisis or would you be willing to take a flight for a year? And they were like, and I said, but have you, one of them said, yeah, I'm really worried. And the others looked at him and I said, oh, so you haven't discussed this with each other. And they were like, no, we don't talk about it. And then it, it, another person said, well, I'm, I'm actually really concerned as well. And it turned out that they, they were concerned, but they didn't discuss it because it's like, if you compare with a Corona pandemic, that's something that everyone has been talking about. It, like, I think it's been a big, and it makes it more real. But if people are concerned about the climate crisis, maybe at home, but not pretending as it's existing when they talk to their friends, I think we, we, I think we will come closer to the solution if we share our thoughts about it. So I definitely think we should talk about it. Okay, I'm glad I got that clarification because so even if you haven't acted yet, everyone talk about it. But it's of course important that we don't because there is it it depends on what you talk about. We if if you hear someone saying that oh, but you know aviation it just stands for three percent of the global emissions. We should do something more important. Then of course it's important that you you try to get things right because I think there is for example one common argument is that yeah, but you know everyone deserves to go to the sun every now and again. And I think that's often met by, yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. You know, so we find, we kind of make each other think that it's okay to continue the way we do. So, yeah, I think you should try to, it's good to know, know some facts before, because it's easy in conversations to sort of, if you see what I mean, get the wrong path. <laughs> I hope that this leads to a second conversation with you. I leave yeah, the open invitation. Yeah. Me too. It would be great to see you again. Maya, thank you very much. Thank you very much. It's nice to see you. I can't wait for when culture changes and people treat flying like a rare occasion or something to avoid because they live close to the family, because they have control over their career. They don't have to do it. In my conversation with Michael Ross, author of Salt, Sugar, Fat, he said a phrase that simplified and clarified how people justify behavior that they can't stop. About himself justifying such behavior, he said, that's the addiction talking. I was there. I looked the other way to avoid facing my pollution. I also said things that it was actually my addiction speaking. I was there. There's a way out. We can shake the addiction. We can get past it. The main way out in terms of flying is spending more time with your family, more time with your community, gaining more control over your career. 
moving to be closer to where you want to be. It feels impossible. When people surround us change, though, we change. When we change first and others follow, that's leadership. You can help lead us out of this mess. How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step-by-step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.